Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. I'm Clint Emerson, and welcome to season two of Can You Survive This Podcast, where the interview is just as dangerous as the scenarios I put my guests through. From hostage situations to natural disasters, carjackings, active shooters, and more, if you're looking for the skills necessary to survive these situations, then this is the show for you. Thank you for allowing me to torture your eardrums with another episode of Can You Survive This Podcast. Today, I have illusionist, world traveler, two off-Broadway shows, today's show, CBS Sunday Morning, The CW, Master of Illusion, and other TV appearances. This is an American illusionist and magician, and he performs one of the largest touring magic and illusion shows in the United States, Jason Bishop. Thanks for coming on the show, buddy. My pleasure. Yeah, you make me sound good. I'm glad. Thank you. <laughs> That's the goal. That is the goal. And uh, in, in, in typical format, you know, I always have a very important question that's up front. And because you're an illusionist, a magician, and you've been doing it for quite some time, how do you make a sausage disappear? <laughs> One piece at a time, painfully. So. <laughs> One piece at a time, painfully. Yeah. Hmm. Boy, we could go one inch at a time, one inch at a time. What's that? One inch at a time. One inch at a time. Okay. I like that. That's a good answer. I was hoping for something a little more, uh, I don't know, magic. You got some magical. Yeah. Something more magical. Ah, sorry. I've never done, (laughs) I haven't done that trick on, on stage yet. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, there's always, uh, there's always a first. I mean, uh, if I got it right, the person, your, your assistant is also, is that a girlfriend, wife, right? A uh, girlfriend, long time. Yeah. Partner. We've been together since like our final days of high school, Kim. Yeah. She's, she's yeah. seen the whole journey. So that's right. That's awesome. You guys put on a good show. You happen to be in Dallas just recently. So I have to admit, I came, I watched you guys, yeah. man, you took care of me by the way. I appreciate that. And it was, uh, it was an awesome show. And as you know, just from reading the right kind of crazy, um, I've been into magic since I was a kid, you know, my experience was walking through the streets of Thailand and every block was a different guy selling a different trick. And each of those guys was just awesome at that one trick. And of course they have to be, cause then you've got to buy the trick. Then yeah. they show you how it works. Right. Yeah. So I ended up, my dad ended up buying me like 20 of these damn things by the time we got to the end of this big shopping area. And then those 20 tricks I practiced and practiced and practiced and then uh, um, eventually did these little magic shows in high school. did a little ad in the Plano newspaper and it was, uh, um, what was it? 20 minutes of magic for 50 bucks. Warning, I cannot make your kids disappear. So, <laughs> Wow, good for you. Yeah, That's most clever. parents, uh, 
I think kind of appreciated a little bit of that, but it was, uh, you know, I just put on a black polo and jeans and it was all sleight of hand, like spongy balls and handkerchiefs and cards and coins. And that was it. Right. And a little bit of fire here and there. Um, but I'm curious, how did you get, how did you get started? That's a crazy question. Uh, I, I was always interested. Um, you know, I, growing up, I was a foster kid and my biological dad, I, I don't want to give him any credit cause it wasn't there for us, but, um, he probably did the first magic trick I ever saw. And it was, you know, it was a miracle at the time, as you know, when you're a kid, people can fool you so easily. But as I look back, it was so simple. It wasn't even funny, but, um, yeah. yeah. So I was always interested throughout, uh, being a kid and never thought I could do it. Um, being a foster kid, there was a time there, where I, I thought my life, like the destiny of my life was preset to like, I'm just going to be a loser. I'll never be anything. There's no way to be anything. I don't have any options. And, uh, and at one point I wanted to be uh, a Navy SEAL, which is, this is the first time I've ever publicly uh, saying that on, on media or anything. <laughs> and so I thought I had to do escapes for uh, drown proofing. I thought that was like escaping from underwater. Yeah. So I got into escapes. So I got really good at escapes and I bought like handcuffs and I'd have people tie me up with rope and stuff. And I'd be out super quick actually. Um, and, and to learn about that, I went to a magic club in Allentown, Pennsylvania, where I was from my brother, my foster parents wouldn't drive us anywhere. So my brother and I walked literally in the snow, like some crazy story somebody says, but in the snow on the railroad tracks for a couple miles, went to the magic club, not barefoot. (laughs) Thank God. Um, (laughs) sandals. No, uh, and, uh, and we watched this, uh, this magic group that let us in to just see what was up. And um, I was just blown away. I mean, they're just making stuff vanish in front of you and, and rather simple tricks now, but I didn't know the principles and they just blew me away. So I started pursuing that. And then that just became this offshoot that was like, oh, I'll be a magician for my life. This is like 15 years old. And like, that's it. I'll just, I'll be a magician. Like that's some like normal pursuit that people do. And uh it's worked out, you know, it seems to have gone around the world a couple of times, meet interesting people like you. And, uh, somehow it, it worked out through a lot of perseverance. So that's a long answer if that's okay. But. Yeah, no, I like it. The, I think the foster child part is interesting. So you and your brother both ended up with the same foster family for a while, or did you get kind of passed around? Yeah. I, I mean, it's something I wouldn't mind talking about with you because of the whole resilience angle of what you guys do. And that's also what I'm about. But um, yeah, we were in, we were almost like twins, my brother and I, uh, Dino. And so we were together a lot, but we had other uh, siblings that we were put it originally into foster care with. And then as it, as it does in foster care, one would leave for this reason, one would leave for that reason. And so he and I stayed together for, I don't know, five, six years. And then, then we split up. And then the weird thing is, uh, eventually we moved to different homes and eventually we just ended up moving back into the same home, which is very rare. Uh, it's not all that common. And we just ended up in the same home and reconnected there, which was great because he was my closest brother at the time and stuff. But, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a interesting life. And, um, you know, I, I remember the stat and, uh, you'll find this fascinating with your medical background and stuff is foster kids have a higher rate of, uh, PTSD than active duty soldiers. That's uh, where they come from. Like just, wow. you know, the, the trauma and abuse and, and circumstances that they're in is, is that, that rough. So, yeah. and I have to assume that you're emotionally walled up because you never know if you're staying where you're at, if you can actually start to love these parents, knowing that potentially you could move on. So you're always in this constant state of just, well, do I, do I relax or not? 
or knowing, not knowing what the next day has in store, right? Or yeah, and I think I think you're you nailed that a hundred percent. And I think worse than that is I don't know. I cannot tell you as a kid, like um, you know, if your parents Clint were like, we're going to take away your Walkman or you're grounded or whatever. For us, one step past any of that was literally them saying, you're going to be out of here. That was the next threat. Like, that's not an average threat. You know what I mean? Like, you're not going to live here anymore. You're not going to know your friends. You're going to, you know, I was thinking of this the other day. When you move to a new foster home, you don't even go into the same religion necessarily. You know what I mean? Like, wow. <laughs> like yeah. you know, the food isn't the same. You know, um, I'm in Pennsylvania. So there's Pennsylvania Dutch and they have... Um, like stuffed cabbage and stuff, you know, you could be in an Italian family or whatever. And it's, everything's different. Your bedtime is different. One place lets you stay up late to watch TV if you want. And the other place you're in bed at 11 and you're sharing the room with four other kids. So it's just constant uncertainty. Um, and, and, and you're right. So I, I definitely, um, am a little bit cautious on, on things, relationships and, and, and insular too, where you have to rely on yourself. You have to be capable. And so if someone screws me, um, you know, it doesn't matter. I can just pivot and move to something else and stuff. So anyway, there's a resiliency that came from, uh, uncertainty. Yeah, I bet. And you just kind of put your head down and keep going with, with what you were doing, which I, I'm guessing your escape from all that mentally and emotionally was magic. You know, people ask that all the time. It, I, I had a weird, just self-confidence from when I was a kid on up. Like I just, I just knew I'd be okay. Eventually once I, I had one foster dad that I said to him, uh, you know, I can never be anything because I'm a foster kid. And he said, that's not true. I knew a guy who was a judge who was a foster kid and he's, he's a judge now. And like, that's it. That one thing that he said went like, was a guy who's a judge. That's a pretty yeah. good thing to be like, so I could do something. And, and then that just changed my mindset to, to be uh, so I was just resilient. Magic, I think was an outlet, but you know, had I pursued the Navy or other things I was interested in, I'd have just kind of focused on that with like a doggedness and, and been okay. But there was some internal confidence, uh, that just didn't rely on other people that way. So, um, so do that if you're in, if you're in an uncertain place in life, you know, if you can. Yeah. I, yeah. I think you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's something that I think is either inherent to you or not. Right. I mean, yeah. not everybody has that. Um, now you mentioned that your biological dad was the first one to show you a trick, right? So uh, yeah. Yeah. When was that? Was this later you met the guy or I mean, no, no, he, he was dead by the time I was seven or eight years old. Um, so I was in living in Philadelphia. Like I have like different sections of my life that, um, we all yeah. do, but yeah, we all do. But when I was a little kid, like that was when it was bad. I mean, we were left in abandoned buildings while my biological mother went in search for heroin and stuff. And we literally ate stuff out of the trash can. We were sent to an orphanage. So we would come back home and he would be hopped up on heroin, whatever, with his friends and stuff. Um, and he'd lay in bed all day and, and he had dark spots on his legs that, uh, you know, I'll just tell you, it's really sad. Actually, it really ticks me off is we said, how'd you get these dark spots on your legs? And he goes, um, I was in Vietnam and I was, my legs were sticking out of a tunnel or something and they shot him up and they, these are the scars left over, whatever. So I thought this for forever. And then, and then somebody told me he wasn't in Vietnam. It was like a caseworker. And then I asked my foster dad and he said, oh, your, your biological dad used to shoot up in his legs mm. and it caused those dark spots. So it was like a stolen ballot and to his kids, which is pretty gross. But, um, so I was living there and in some ways he was a, a nice guy, but he, you know, 
I think we have much more education about drugs now than we did back then. And you didn't know that you're going to get, you're going to do heroin one time. And that's it. You're hooked. It's going to kill you or, or, or be addictive. Right. And that's what happened to them. And, and, um, and so he showed me in Philadelphia there and then uh, that stuck with me. It was a, a, a strong memory, I guess. And then went on from there, but I don't like to give him any credit for, for anything like that, but um it is the first incident, so oh, I, got I give you. long answers. Sorry. Okay, so you're you're with your parents all the way up until seven, eight, nine ish, and then you had to go into foster care. Uh, no, that, that I was like I was in and out. They were in prison, they were out of prison and stuff, and um, so it was like probably six, seven, you know, in and out of the orphanage and foster homes, and then from like eight on, uh, my <laughs> just gonna tell you the good stuff. I guess my biological. <laughs> My biological mother killed my biological father. She stabbed him uh, 59 times, which is w- probably where I get my never quit attitude. Um, and, uh, <laughs> well, at least you can joke about it. <laughs> hell yeah, man. You, you got it. 58 I, times. Why 58? <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. She was in a rage, man. Um, and then after that, she was in prison. We'd visit her in prison. That was that wasn't fun. And um, he was dead. And and, and from like eight on that I was long-term most foster kids are in for two, three years. We were in about 10 years a piece, um, which is pretty, pretty long-term foster care. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And it, and it, it's remarkable that you're able to, uh, now look at you, you know, you're traveling the globe doing these shows and, uh, and they're not just some show. I mean, this is a full on production. I got to see, uh, the backstage aspects of it. And so, you know, my hat's off to you, man, for growing up like that and then, uh, being who you are today. So good job on that, buddy. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I notice you hide all that pain with humor that's okay. I do the same (laughs) thing. I probably do. (laughs) I think I do. Shrinks have heydays with guys like us. People say, uh, what is that called? Um, avoidance or, uh, what's that called? Denial. <laughs> yeah. It's bad. No, it's pretty helpful. Denial is super helpful. <laughs> yeah. Why accept I, it when you can deny it? Yeah. Out of sight, out of mind. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wow. That's, uh, that's, yeah, damn awesome stuff, buddy. Uh, sorry you had to go through that, but you wouldn't be who you are today without it. That's for damn sure. No, I don't think so. I think you're right. Yeah. So touring the United States, right? Just touring the United States alone has had to have led to some pretty uh, interesting stories that have nothing to do with magic or illusions. Just traveling the United States. You got any good stories of uh, weird situations, crisis, anything that you're like, man, I gotta, I gotta figure my way out of this thing. Yeah. What'd you say? What is it? Del Rio. Oh, Del Rio. What? Oh, Del Rio. That was weird. Yeah, I've got a. We've got a million stories. They're not uh, quite, you know, ex uh, NSA CIA stories, but um, you know, just just off the top, we saw one of the very last uh, night. Maybe it was the very last night uh, launch of a space shuttle. You know, driving uh, in Florida, going somewhere. Saw that. We were once in New Mexico. It was like flash flooding, and we didn't see a car for two plus hours on this road. And they're like, it's it's flash flooding, like that kind where like it's the Pacific Ocean coming at you and we, we don't know. And we get to the venue and it's dry the next day. And we go like, did you guys have any flash flood stuff? And they go, oh, that 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 area over there was six feet high with water last night just from that. Like, oh, so wow. you just could be washed away and dead. That was fun. We had our whole trailer stolen the day before, like the most important show of our life and went to Walmart and uh, picked up some stuff and still did the show. It was a showcase where you perform for like, 15, 20 minutes and then people book you and stuff, but it's, it's pivotal because that's where, you know, people go to book you and stuff. 
So our entire trailer was stolen the night before, went to Walmart, got some cards. I mean, you saw what I could do with cards, um, some rope and stuff, did some escape stuff and, and still booked some shows. Um, so, and then I guess Del Rio, I shouldn't even tell you this because this is like stupid, but we were, um, <laughs> I, I'm just gonna, I, I won't name her name, but we were in Del Rio, Texas, which is like a border town. And there's been, there's an international bridge there. There's been like legit B-movie shootouts between the cartel members and the and, and other people there. So we're doing the show and we happen to meet this girl who at the time is like uh, Serena Williams' personal assistant. She lives, she lives there, but she was visiting her family and then she goes back to LA. So this like really attractive couple is at the show or we're at a bar afterwards and the bar is going to close down. And this attractive couple, it's like Sofia Vergara and her and a husband in this crappy little town, you know? And we're like hanging out with them and they just go, hey, we're going to go back to our house. Do you all want to go to our house? And the other people are like, I've always wanted to see that house. So we go back to the house. We're hanging out, all this stuff. And I say something like, oh, you're like three miles from the border. And he goes, no, we're less than a mile from the border. And for some reason, drunk, uh, I go, what do you, you know, what do you do for a living? And he goes, don't, don't worry about what I do for a living. And I was like, well, what is it? And he goes, let's not talk about what I do. And this guy's talking about religions, guns, second amendment, everything you're not supposed to talk about in polite society, but he won't say what he does for a living. Afterwards, all of us are like, that guy's either a drug dealer or a gun runner. There's no question in this beautiful house surrounded by dilapidated houses. So you get in some weird <laughs> shit on the road. <laughs> anyway, yeah. That was, that was memorable. Now don't be disappearing on me. Jason will be back after the break. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, who knows? You know, that's the thing. You never know who's uh, standing in front of you these days, you know? And uh, and what what stereotypes we have in our minds isn't necessarily a representation of what's actually standing there, right? I mean, like you said, it's normal-looking yeah. couple. And uh, I yeah, was in New York City, and this woman comes up, and I hate to say this, and she was kind of awkward, and she's like, have you ever wanted someone to write a play about your life? And, and I was like, sure. Yeah. And she's like, I'd like to do that. And I'm like, uh, okay. And I'm like, here's my agent. And she's like, okay. Then she calls back. She's like a major legit playwright who legit like big time. And, and it was just this weird person, but you know, I don't know if you've had this before you, you are where you're, you're now, you, you kind of don't believe someone like that is talking to you. You know what I mean? You're like, okay, weirdo, whatever you say. And then you find out like, <laughs> yeah. no, this person's like, really successful at this stuff and they don't fit the image you might have had of that person for whatever reason so yeah yeah i, I kind of get what you mean it's a little surreal sometimes you're like wait why am i here why is it why, why are people talking to me <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah yeah um yeah that's that's all good stuff being on the road man there's a lot of a lot of lessons to be learned by driving america that's for sure and uh what about as you traveled across oceans uh any any good stories there? Any crazy situations or? Um, I mean, I got arrested out of the country and um, and it, it was just dumb. But I, I actually had um, because of you, um, I had a carbon fiber handcuff key on me and got arrested. And I'm sitting in the police station after a couple hours and they seem like good guys. And I go, you know what I do for a living? And the guy <laughs> goes, yeah, you're some kind of magician or something. And I go, well, yeah, you might want the, the handcuff key out of my back left pocket. And he, and he laughs. And I go, okay, I'm serious, but okay. And he just leaves it. Yeah. And then, like, the sergeant comes in and goes, uh, he said he has a handcuff key in his back left pocket. Maybe we should check. And this big dude looked like he'd been a Marine, lifts me up and reaches in and 
there's a carbon fiber handcuff key right there. And, and, and uh, they were cool about it. But we were trapped in Europe during the volcano 10 years ago. We were in Tunisia like two weeks before the Arab Spring, you know, launched off there and stuff. So it's a little like Forrest Gumpy stuff where you go to different places and you're tangentially linked to it. But, you know, thank God we were never stuck, stuck in some like unrest riot somewhere or something. Um, but uh, it, it's uncomfortable because you're out of your you know, we were in Morocco, we were like in the Kashbah and like the little kids attack you for like doing tours and stuff like that. And you're like, guys, like you're in my personal space. Like, I don't want to, this is getting really uncomfortable. And they lead you through these corridors that you never find your way out. And, and you're mm-hmm. just ready to pounce because you're like, I have to be ready for anything right now. And um, thank God it's never happened. But uh, that that's, there's other stuff, but that's, that's just stuff yeah, that the highlight reel. Yeah. It, well, hey, I'm glad to hear that you uh, yeah followed some of the Hunter Deli skill rules and put a little handcuff <laughs> key in your back pocket. But I mean, you are a magician, so I mean, you really don't need it, right? <laughs> <laughs> we hide them better. We just hide them better. Well, that's know? the next piece. Like, so I, one of the things I don't know if many people know, but you know, as it relates to escape, um, you know, you have you have different training and schools in the military that teach that type of stuff. And, uh, I'll never forget one of the, one of the instructors was referencing, you know, volume one of, uh, Houdini's escape books, right? The very first Mm -hmm. one. And that it's not about these cool, like tricks you do with your body or your wrists or your hands for Houdini. It was all about how he hid tools that he could access in order to actually do all of those crazy escapes. Do you feel like that kind of um, preparation, uh, is applicable. I mean, you do it for a living, but you, it definitely would apply in a survival situation from a magician's point of view. How do you look at that kind of stuff? Like, can see, yeah, I mean, I think concealment's important. Uh, you know, I think the handcuff key is important EDC, you know, whether you're carrying a knife or, or if your person carries a gun and you want to conceal those things. And, you know, I never really get the open carry people because it's like, they're just going to shoot you first. Like, don't they'll tell everybody you got it on you. Just right, right. But, um, you know, Houdini early on, uh, I think it was World War One. I. I don't know when. Yeah, yeah, he was alive then. Anyway, the, the military consulted him on escapes to, to teach guys, you know, how to get out of restraints and stuff like that. And, and some of it is uh, whether it's flexing or, or creating. It's all about creating slack. I mean, that's what escapes are about as such. And, you know, one thing you'll find interesting is a lockpick, guys. Houdini was damn near a locksmith. Um, it really was. And he could, they say he could look in certain locks or even at a key and just replicate, make a key from looking at the lock, you right. know, but, but he concealed it all over the place. You're right. So many tools. And, and one thing you probably don't know about him, some of his escapes, he'd be in there for like an hour on stage, which is so boring today, but they'd have a curtain around him. He'd be escaping. And sometimes, man, he'd be working to get out of these restraints. And another trick real quick that he did, that's great is if you're handcuffed, he'd be handcuffed like up to his elbow. Well, only to like here does it matter because like you get out of these, whether it's a key, whatever. But then here, you know, it's so much larger on your arm. Sorry, right there. It's so much larger that you pull that down, you can slip, you know, it out of there. But not that anybody's going to handcuff you with 10 handcuffs, but you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I see what you're saying. So he would he would make sure the handcuffs were put on high up the arm so the diameter of the handcuff was then big. And you can just slide it right down and off. Right? Yeah. So if you had yeah. like six on him or six or 10 or something, only the first two or three mattered. And then the rest, you just 
just pushed were coming off, off anyway. Uh, yeah, yeah, anyway. yeah. So if he had yeah. 10 handcuffs on him, it, yeah, only, yeah, yeah, I got you. The ones at the wrist. It looks more impressive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he um I've got one of the original books and I've got something else that was signed by him that uh I don't know over the years I ended up with and uh yeah, he was definitely the leader, right? I mean, who else are the great like who who else is a great escape person these days? Escape escape is it fell out of fashion. I think the thing with Houdini was that um it was the turn of the century and it, he was an immigrant guy, he was from Hungary and you know, he I think he talked a little funny and stuff and he was a short guy. So he was just this like this icon for immigrants and for other people that were going through depression, et cetera. Um, well, he died in 26, so it'd be before that. But, um, you know, he was just an icon for 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 being able to to take control of your life and live your life that way. And then escapes kind of fell out. But Copperfield did some of them and, and he did a really good job. All the big guys, Angel, Copperfield, you know, Chris Angel, Lance Burton, they'll all incorporate uh, some of that for sure. But but escapes are kind of boring after a while if you do too many so i don't think anybody does uh them so much in their show anymore there aren't any huge ones james randy he was a guy in the 70s that was big people know james randy yeah he just died hmm. a couple years ago yeah i think uh the first magician i saw that did a, did some escape stuff was uh he came over to saudi um blackstone is that blackstone oh yeah yeah, yeah. Wow. you remember that Maybe. guy yeah 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 yeah, blackstone. yeah. yeah he came yeah. over and uh i was I don't know how old I was, but that was the first show I saw. And then, of course, I saw, I've seen every single show in Vegas plus yours now. So that's cool. Yeah. Good. Yeah, Copperfield, <laughs> of course. We've talked about him. I mean, yeah. And uh, interesting. I didn't know you. I think you were the one who told me he is the, the first and only billionaire magician, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's, yeah. <laughs> that is crazy to think about, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, he sold more tickets than Elvis, the Beatles, all these people combined. And uh, they're only like, five or 10 uh, entertainers that are billionaires like Oprah, Spielberg, something like that. McCartney, Copperfield. It, it's a short list, very short list. You know? Yeah. Wow. That's pretty cool. Um, good for him. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. So coming into the days of, uh, so what was the first trick you learned? The first one that you learned and that you, you mastered and it really kind of was like, oh, okay, I can do this the french drop which is a really simple uh coin trick everybody learns that you, you hold a quarter and then you put it over and it disappears um probably that is one of the very first tricks anybody learns how to do in magic and, and you still use it you know later in life too but french drop you can look it up it's, yeah it's easy to learn and hard to master <laughs> right yeah i uh I remember the first time I was doing it, it's like what if you're holding something in your hand, I'm trying to describe this so listeners get it, but you're, let's say you're holding a coin between your thumb and index finger of your right hand, and then your left hand comes over and your fingers of your left hand kind of act as a curtain, kind of hides mm -hmm. it for a split second as if you're grabbing it. But at the same time, you're actually letting it just drop back down into the palm of your hand. And yeah. then it looks like you grabbed it with your left, right? I mean, that's the French drop. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Um, yeah, I think that was when it comes to sleight of hand and stuff, it's definitely the first one I think everybody learns. But, you know, to to take it to a more nefarious world, sleight of hand became something that I was like, man, I can steal a back at pack of gum pretty easily these days if you learn how to yeah. uh, palm something, you know. So, you know, when I was a kid, I'd go into a 7 Eleven and as I'm grabbing, a pack of gum, I'm palming a second one. And then you can hold yeah. it up and ask, how much is this? 
and they'd say, oh, 99 cents or whatever. And you're like, oh, okay, never mind. You put it down, and then you walk out with the one you palmed in your hand, right? So have you yeah. have you used your magic for anything nefarious? Uh, like that? Um, <laughs> not not really, but you could. I think, you know, the, the parallel, and you can tell me what you think, I think in your world and my world, which, yeah. which surprise people, is boldness. Like you have to be kind of bold or you can be really bold. People, people think everybody's looking at them and they're going to know what you're doing and all that. And sometimes you can just do it like that. I mean, that move is right in someone's face, like yeah. this piece of gum. And they're like, and, and because the actions you're doing are natural, they conceal the part that, that isn't natural. Um, so, I mean, I've done magic at restaurants and been like, Hey, if I do this thing, can I get my food for free? And they're like, yeah, and I'll do it. And they'll give it to me for free. So <laughs> that's been nice. Yeah. Yeah, you're not as you're not as much of a troublemaker as I am, I guess. <laughs> not not that way, no. Yeah. Look, I stole stuff when I was younger, and I used magic to do it. That's a but uh, I don't yeah. want to get into this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now are there any? Uh, what about these magic kind of groups? You know, I think there's been some movies made about like a group of magicians, and they pull off all kinds of stuff, right? I'm, are you a fan of those movies? Yeah, I think they're entertaining movies. The magic's a little ridiculous um, and overskilled and 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 stuff, but they're you know they're entertaining movies. Anything that makes magic look relatively good, I think, is good. The only thing is, like sometimes their CGI magic is so, I hate to say this, like so good that people come to a show and they're like, "Are you going to levitate and then light on fire and then burst into fifty nine pieces and then that's my card and what?" And you're like, "No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> that's impossible." Yeah, so. that's funny. Well, considering uh, that stage stuff, uh, has it, have, what, have you ever had like a mishap? Like, you know, you accidentally oh, sawed somebody in half or something or? Yeah, yeah. yeah I've had, a, I'd made an assistant disappear and then I gave the wrong signal and she was in a very concealed spot and, uh, and, and I messed up and she came out of the concealment as obvious as day and the audience saw it. It was just incredibly embarrassing. We've also been levitating about 15 feet and had some incident where we almost fell off uh, levitating, which um, I hate to say there's a there's somebody who fell off a couple years ago uh, off the same type of trick and uh, they're, they're paralyzed. They're like they can kind of walk now. Um, and this was a, a very fit person. And, and like they got up three steps a couple months ago and I was like, yay, you know, oh, so wow. yeah. yeah, so there's some you like broke her neck and stuff. So there, there's some there's some legit danger in some of that stuff. There's no doubt about it. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's always mistakes. I mean, and you try to cover them, conceal them, redirect, go to, go to another trick. Um, but, uh, hopefully the big mistakes you, you, you don't have happen too often. So, right. Yeah. Now, what is the most dangerous trick that magicians generally speaking, you know, have to do? I think levitating can be up there because the force required to lift a person is obviously in excess of that person's weight, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, it takes more force to lift the person than, than they weigh. So you're dealing with some pretty, you, you, there's, there's devices we use for that that can just sever your arm. I mean, they just cut your arm right off, you know? Um, and that is legit dangerous. And it looks beautiful and, and lyrical on the front. And then in where these things happen, it, it's quite dangerous. The other one is, um, uh, the bullet catch, you know, that has legitimately killed six or more, uh, magicians, you know, um, catching bullets and, and then they, their head catches it or their chest catches it and they die. And, uh, there was a really famous magician named there's two, there's Chingling Fu and Chungling Su and Chungling Su 
got shot after doing it hundreds of times on stage. Uh, there was like debris in the gun or something and it shot him. Uh, he's bleeding out. They take him to the hospital and then they realize this famous Chinese, <laughs> this famous Chinese magician is a white dude named like William Robinson. And he'd been going around pretending he was Chinese to capitalize on uh, this Asian uh, magic that was big at the time. Um, so th that was one of the greatest deceptions in magic, but he legit died from getting <laughs> shot, you know, on stage. So. Wow. So go through, if someone, for people that are li listening, like go through what, what is the magic? What is a magic catch? Like go, just go through this general mechanics what or is, a what bullet. I'm sorry. A bullet catch. Oh, a bullet catch. I'm yeah. sorry. A bullet catch would be, and a uh, Penn and Teller still do it in Las Vegas. They use uh, like Smith and Wesson's, uh, whatever they're like a 45 Magnum, whatever it's called. Um, so a bullet catch is um, the magician brings out a rifle or a gun, a handgun, whatever, and bullets. And then he invites uh, police officers or military people from the audience to come up, inspect everything. Then they mark the bullet, uh, the front of the bullet. Um, and then they, they put it, they load the chamber. And then sometimes somebody from the audience can hold the gun. In the case of Penn and Teller, they both, um, they each hold one and then they, you know, it's a double bullet catch. And then you shoot the thing at the guy's face or at a plate that he's holding and he catches it on the plate or he catches it in his mouth and you spit it out and show that the bullet is, um, you know, has the same marking. I saw Penn and Teller do it on stage. I'll be honest. I have no idea how they did that trick. I have no idea. Uh, not a clue. And the bullets fire, the guns fire and every, everything looks legit and. So it's an impressive trick. Um, but, and people sometimes yeah, die. So and people sometimes bullet, die. bullets are flying in some form uh, or fashion. Yeah. Or, or something gets loose in the gun or there's a debris buildup from yeah. uh, webbing back in the day and, and people have died. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Sounds like a cool trick. I'll check that out. <laughs> <laughs> you can do it one time. It'd be a good one skill, time. right? It'd be a good skill being able to catch bullets. I mean, come on. Yeah. Especially in a crisis, active shooters, yeah. you can just catch them all. Um, so. wow. Good stuff, buddy. Uh, let's, you know, let's take it through going back just a little bit. Um, becoming a magician, the basics, like what, what is it that are you, did you take the, the, the most popular route or, you know, what are, for those that might be interested in it, how, how do they, how do they go down that path? Yeah, it's all about the same. I think I think that's fine. Um, so the route I took was was you're all self-taught basically, and so you know you go to the library, you read books, you buy books. Uh, if you're a kid, every Christmas or whatever, you're asking for this book or or this video. And then it got into DVDs, and now it's uh, you can go to places like Illusion with an E, Illusionist, Penguin, Vanishing Ink, and you can download um, uh, magic tricks on video and then learn it that way or get them shipped to you or whatever. So some are techniques with stuff you use around the house and others are special uh, items that you have to purchase that can be expensive. And you just get a little bit better and a little better and your knowledge base grows and you integrate sleight of hand, you know, using just your hands for stuff um, or trick objects and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, there's no like master pupil thing as much. That's that's really not a real thing. It's just going online, going to, to you know, get books and stuff and learning how to do it on your own. And, and most magicians are relatively self-taught. You could go to a few good people if they'll accept you. And um, if you show them good chops, then they may give you pointers and new techniques and things like that. So no, there's a lot gotcha. of tears, honestly, to magic. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever mentored anybody? You got anybody who's come to you and said, hey, can you guide me, Jedi? <laughs> um, 
<laughs> yeah. Now I get I get young kids here and there, um, or even older kids and people that I or even people older than me who who see that I can do certain things and they'll ask, you know, how do you do tour stuff or what would you suggest with this illusion or what's your advice or would you watch this video? Um, so yeah, but not as a like a master oh, apprentice. Yeah. I, yeah, not that kind of thing. But um, but advice and stuff for sure. Gotcha. You're listening to Can You Survive This Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Please make sure to subscribe, rate, and share on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite shows. More with Jason on the other side of this short break. All right. Well, are you ready to go through the second part of this thing? I, I think so. <laughs> Just in case, I have uh, I put some post-its in here. Uh-oh. Um, yep. Ready to go. <laughs> you got it. Yep. Got your Hunter Deli skills ready. That's good. All right. So um, here we go. Hypothetical survival scenario. Let's see how you do. All right. So let's say you're back on the road doing shows and you find yourself on the East Coast. You just finished a great show and the town is small enough where you can walk back to your hotel. It's nighttime. You walk back to the hotel alone. Your assistant offered you a ride, but you kind of felt like getting some fresh air. As you get closer to the hotel, a car pulls up in front of you and blocks your path. A person with a gun gets out of the driver's seat. The person points the gun at your chest, says, I saw your show tonight, Jason. You really are America's hottest illusionist. Now, get in the car. You're coming with me. First question. Do you, A, use some sneaky sleight of hand and steal the crazy fan's gun? Or B, avoid escalating the situation, play ball, and get in the car? Uh <laughs> <laughs> you know, Copperfield was m m mugged on the street at gunpoint, and he concealed his uh, wallet and stuff from the guy, actually. Uh, this really happened, uh, David Copperfield. But, um, no, I mean, my understanding is secondary location means you're going to be, uh, for women especially, at least raped, possibly mur murdered. So I'm going to avoid uh, going to the secondary location unless, uh, you know, I would just try to avoid going to the secondary location. That's my, my thought. So. <laughs> That's an answer somewhere in the middle, buddy. So you can use sneaky sleight of hand and try and take the guy's gun, girl, guy, the fan. And a, then, a, a, yeah. Sorry, a, a. Or you can avoid escalating the situation, play ball, and get in the car. Well, I mean, I, I would try to avoid it, but I'm not going to get in the car. So I'm going to go A. You're going to go A. Okay. I'm going A. Well, lots of times keeping the situation from escalating is key. So playing ball sometimes in order to stay alive, all right, is, uh, is, is sometimes the better choice. Now, situation dictates, your capability dictates, um, and so to start fighting, uh, the gun could go off. There's a lot of, there's a lot of unknowns there. Um, so to keep yourself alive, we're going to go with a, or we're going to go with B, avoid escalating, right? Avoid escalation, okay? And then you're going to roll with it. And remember, this is a story. This is a path that's already pre-generated. So uh, you, you, okay. may, you may pick a right answer, but there's also the other right answer. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, Your answer is right. <laughs> yeah, so you are in the car, 
All right, now you're in the car, whether you like it or not. Um, do you A, keep quiet and do whatever you are told, or B, calmly try to befriend the person, take things down a notch by being friendly? I'm going to go B, be friendly. That's right. Right. So the first question, you know, if you're outgunned, outnumbered, taking severe blows of the head, then you, you want to temporarily surrender. And uh, there's no shame in it because it's all about just continuing to live, right? So that's why you ended up in the car because you were outgunned. Now, here, trying to be calm, this is de-escalation de 101. If you're calm and you're being nice, um, it's also, you know, a seer school tactic, right? You want to you wanna show that you're human. You want them to like you. You want them to be your friend, right? Even though it's a crazy environment to be friends with someone in. But you kind of want to kind of act like at least like, hey, yeah, this is, yeah, hey, I know, I know you got, you know, whatever, rough times and you're doing whatever you need to do to survive. I get it. I understand. I'm going to be your friend. Got it? All right. Yeah. So, yes, you're right. B. Be their buddy, especially when you're talking about a crazy fan. Have you have you had any crazy fans? I I have. And uh, it was, yeah, they sent us a letter to the theater uh, and then the theater forwarded it to us. And it was like, when we meet and you meet Jesus Christo, like Jesus Christ, like, uh, and uh, got a little hairy, honestly. We, we took some precautions on that date, so. Oh, yeah? Huh. Yeah. <laughs> and that was like threats to your life? Is that what that was? It was some bizarre handwritten letter that was talking about me meeting Jesus Christ and and with them. And Strange. so it, it we took the, uh, the approach that it was threatening a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Just out of safety, you know. Yeah, you can't be too safe, that's for sure. No. All right, be, befriending this crazy fan, finding some common ground and humility should help de-escalate the situation. Just tread lightly and don't push any buttons, right? Yeah. And the fan seems to enjoy that you are being friendly. So it's working to your benefit. But then they pull the car over and they tell you to hold your hands out. Okay, and this is where things get a little weird. You know, they tell you to hold your hands out to them. Do you... A, present your hands, or B, refuse and demand they tell you what is going on. Remember, this person has a gun. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I guess from the first question, I'm going to say, put out my hands. Let's put out my hands. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, for this scenario, we'll be <laughs> avoiding pissing off the person with the gun. Okay? Okay. So you reluctantly present your hands good job all right and your captor pulls out a roll of duct tape you're thinking pride yourself oh i got this right yeah. and begins to tape your hands at the wrist okay do you a press your wrist close together making it easier for your captor to tape you or b press your palms together in your wrists outward while being taped I'm going to go palms together, create a little leverage. That's on, right. On my, uh, wrist. B. Yeah. By pressing your palms together and your wrists out, <clears throat> like you said earlier, creating slack or a gap, you can make it so that the duct tape um, resistance is actually looser and easier to escape from at a later time. Yes. So now you pull up to a house. You're ordered to get out of the car, and your captor says, you are going in the house now. Mm-hmm. Do you A, take off running, or B, play it cool and do as you are told? 
Is the gun still on me at this point? Still a gun. There's still a gun. I guess it's got to be on me. Yeah. <sighs> All right. Um, I, I'm not going to run too well with my hands tied. I, I, I'm just going to have to go in at this point, I guess, in the house. Yeah, part of this is, yeah, you are restrained, and the odds are you can't outrun a bullet. But you, I mean, you're 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 an illusionist. You're, you got like you can make smoke just disappear. Fucking weird. <laughs> um, you're gonna out. You, yeah, you're not gonna be able to outrun the bullet. Uh, if you take off running, the person could shoot you in the back. So you do as you're told. Once inside, you see a couple of kids running around and playing. Kind of odd. And uh, but you're still duct taped. Right, hands in front of your body. Luckily, the tape is kind of loose because you uh, created the gap. Do you, A, grab one of the kids as hostage and demand to be let go, or B, keep playing it cool and do as you're told? Uh, I mean, you grab a kid and your friendship stuff money is out the window. I mean, you're, you're done with that guy, so... I'm going to keep it cool for now, um, but uh, I'm going to note those which one of those kids I could take easier. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, make some mental notes of everything that you see uh, in this house. That's for sure. Everything's a weapon. There, look for escape routes, all that good stuff. Um, again, you don't want to piss off the person with the gun. They are clearly unstable, and if you grab a kid, who knows? You, know, you might end up inadvertently getting a kid killed now, um, which that wouldn't be cool. Um, so you're taken into a room inside this house. Now handcuffs are added to your wrists in addition to the tape. Damn. A bag is placed over your head, and you are placed on a chair in the corner of the room. Do you, A, pretend to be asleep, hope the captor loses interest in you, <laughs> or B, ask to go to the bathroom? Uh, wow. I'm going to go to the bathroom and I can assess what my escape options are. If there's any weapons, if there's any escape measures uh, for picking or anything like that, I'm going to go to the bathroom. I think that's a good choice. You know, because we've come to the point where waiting around and playing it cool uh, really isn't helping. Right. So, you know, you see uh, you see what you can get out of this person by asking to go to the restroom. You're kind of. It's like you've been nice up to this point. Now maybe they'll give you something in return. And they say yes because you've been nice. Uh, they take Although you they the might say no because they're like, they realize I already shit myself a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> that would have gotten you to the bathroom maybe a little quicker. Just take a yeah, dump okay. in your pants. and uh, let, me down. Let the odor be your weapon. All right. Um, they take you to the bathroom, remove your hood, but not your restraints. And then they leave you alone in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. So, you quickly check for supplies while you're in there, and you find a bobby pin. Do you, A, flush the toilet, take the bobby pin uh, with you back where you're being held, B, pick the cuffs in the bathroom and defeat the duct tape with force? Hmm. Yeah, that's a tough yeah, one. That's a, yeah, I mean, I think... I'm going to go with B. I'm going to go with B because uh, we're, we're already outside of the, the initial room. Like, I don't want to be behind multiple tiers of doors you got to get through and stuff. So I think I'm going to defeat it in the limited space like that where maybe I have a better advantage of, of dealing with this guy. So, there we go. I'm sure that's the wrong answer. No, that's, that's it. For this, <laughs> okay. for this scenario, that is correct. <laughs> okay. B, so you pick the cuffs 
um, in the bathroom, you defeat the duct tape. So do you know how to pick cuffs? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And do you, do you, uh, do you use bobby pins or what have you used? I literally had a shim made <clears throat> by a machinist. And uh, when I was like 15, I had this leather band and I created a, a thing where the shim could live in the metal band. And man, you pop that thing in, it's like having a key. It was so simple, you know, just pop so it. was it. So yeah, I could just probably use a, a bobby pin. What's that? I'm sorry. Was the shim somewhat hooked shape so that you could just it sweep was just, it? Yeah, it was just super flat, like almost like a spring from. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you come in from the back angle and clear, you know, the locking me mechanism, and, and then it popped open. Um, so, but I think a lot of handcuffs now have like an alternate lock, like yeah. a dot lock. They have the yeah, double. So. A lot of yeah. a lot of cops, uh, if you know, if you're getting arrested, they don't. It, it really depends on the officer. Sometimes they just um, they cuff you and they don't hit that secondary lock. Uh, if they do, it becomes a lot more difficult to get out. Um, and you can either defeat handcuffs, you know, at the lock, or you can try and shim the ratcheting system, right? And that sounds like what you were doing is putting a piece of metal between the teeth and the ratchet so that now the the bracelets come off. Uh, they they exactly. basically free feed in and out with a, when you put exactly. a shim in there. So yeah. that's kind of cool. Yeah, you're right, you're right on board here. And then breaking duct tape, getting out. I mean, we've talked about this before, but... You're, you're literally using your body as a wedge, you know, and if you have the space, you put your arms out in front of you at eye level, and then you rocket your elbows past your rib cage, and your body will do the rest. And if you do it right, you know, for those of you listening, you can do this, uh, you know, on a Friday or Saturday night or maybe even Valentine's Day, but uh, you, can, you can practice, and if you do it right, it'll look like the duct tape was cut with scissors. It's amazing. Wow. It's cool. I'm always surprised. Try that. And I've, I've done tr tests where, you know, whenever I do my speaking engagements, I'll, I'll bring, you know, five people up on stage. And the first person gets, you know, two or three wraps. The next person gets four or five wraps around their wrist. And then, you know, the next person, eight, nine. And, you know, by the time you get to the fifth person, we've got, uh, you know, upwards to 10 to 15 wraps around their wow. wrists, right? Yeah. And then I'll have all of them put their hands up in front of them, eye level, and at the count of three, rocket those elbows past their rib cage, and all five will come loose with this same amount of force, same amount of you know effort. It's uh, wow. So it works. No matter how many times they wrap your wrist, it works. Okay. Is there any major abrasion to the skin or anything with that? Or is it pretty, yeah, I mean, pretty harmless? Or? No, yeah. It, the duct tape in itself is... Uh, you know, just the stickiness will tear some hairs off your wrist. Um, but other than that, no, it'll, yeah. it'll just okay. shear it. It's so easy. Wow. That's um, cool. And then if, you're, if your ankles are taped, same thing. You just basically point your toes out at 45 degree angle, almost like you're standing at attention and your heels together. And then you just squat as fast as you can. And hmm. uh, it'll, it'll shear the tape. So, yeah. Like anyway. That. You you cool. chose you chose wisely wisely, <laughs> okay. With your hands free, do you a exit with free hands and attack attack your captor, knock them out and run, or b put the cuffs and duct tape back on and have them believe that they're still restrained. I'm, I'm lifting up that toilet seat cover and smashing a head when he comes through the door. <laughs> I'm going a. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you're going for A? 
Yeah, that's what I'm doing. All right. Well, for this scenario. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> we're going to trick the enemy here. Okay. You're, you're going right. to deceive them. Um, sticking with the theme of de-escalation, we won't try and start an altercation of any sort. And you now have the advantage because the crazy fan does not know that your hands are actually free. Um, you're now left in the room alone. Your kidnapper leaves the room to attend to the kids in the house who are now screaming. Okay. There's a window in the room. and uh, But the drop down is about 30 feet on the outside. So, last question. Do you, A, escape through the window and tell us a way to make it down without breaking a leg if you drop 30 feet, or B, sneak out of the room, down the stairs, maintaining a stealthy movement, and sneak out while your captor is distracted by the screaming kids? Yeah, I'm going to go B. I mean, if you fall out the window, break the leg, you're screwed. And um, one thing I learned in, like, elementary school, getting out of a fire, they said that was like, uh, what is it? Your head is so much higher than your feet. Like, your feet are going to hit first. Um, so you have a few more feet of distance that are going to touch the ground before your head, but not 30 feet. That's too yeah, far. So you're trying to sneak down. Yeah, the, the basically the distance minus your height is really, you know, how far you're the going. The contact distance. Yeah, yeah and so... You know, you're, uh, let's say you're six foot. You're, you're, how tall are you? About like 5'10", okay. like 5'11". Okay. I was much shorter than you, I think. Um, so, yeah, you, you just do some easy math and then you kind of know. But ideally, you uh, you sneak out and don't risk the 30-foot drop, which you, uh, yeah. you chose correctly. Uh, but since you're a magician, maybe you have a sneaky way to shim down like a ninja. But, uh, um, you know, if it's a room and it's got the... Uh, you know, king size beds, for example, I always tell people for hotel safety and security, right? You, you stay on a floor in which you can jump out uh, safely, but sometimes that's not always possible depending on the occupancy of the hotel. Um, so you might end up on the third or fourth floor and always get a king size bed, right? Because a king size bed or a double queen, either one, both of them are great, but a, a, a king size sheet is 12 feet from corner to corner, right? Diagonally. Yeah. And so, you know, this, an average story is 10 feet. So you're going to use the one foot on each end of that sheet to tie some great whammy knots from sheet to sheet to sheet in order to escape that room. So that's another option if you uh, find yourself in some crazy person's bedroom tied to it. I'm just chair. amazed you pick a, a, a bedroom <laughs> on the second store that you think about ahead of time. That's very <laughs> interesting. Well, you know, it's... Uh, yeah, and the, when when terrorism was an all di, all time high, the State Department. I mean, they, you know, anybody who was traveling abroad, it was like, okay, how do I set myself up so that I don't have to worry about you know, you know, that potential attack on a Western hotel in a semi permissive environment overseas? You know, you were like, yeah, I want to probably be on the second floor, not on the first floor. You want to give yourself enough room to play cat and mouse with the bad guys if you need to. Mm. Um, and then also, if you got to jump out a window, you want to be able to survive the jump. So, yeah. Anyway. Wow. Uh, Interesting. You did really well, actually. You got 80. You got an 80. Nice. You missed two out of 10, so you survived this podcast. So, uh, Jason, I uh, I appreciate you coming. It was, uh, it's awesome to get to hear your story and hear about yeah, – from childhood to uh, becoming, uh, you know, one of the best illusionists out there. 
Um, where can people find you, find out about your next shows? Give us, give us the lowdown. Um, we're trying to get our YouTube going on. It's a slow go, but if you go to YouTube, Jason Bishop, basically anything with Jason Bishop and you throw magic in there, you'll find us um, on Instagram. I think it's uh, Jason Bishop show. Um, and we're like kind of something I'm a little bit proud of is uh, we were one of the first uh, illusionists to come back at the hotel that you saw us in, in uh, Texas, but we're going to be the first uh, magician illusionist on a cruise ship leaving the United States, uh, June 26th, the celebrity edge. Um, so that's kind of a big announcement that hasn't, hasn't come out yet is we'll be the first illusionist on uh, a U.S. Uh, a cruise ship leaving the United States. So that's kind of cool. And but is, um, yeah, just anything with Jason Bishop. Look it up. Oh, sorry, Clint. Awesome. Um, no, yeah, that's great. And, and is that since COVID or ever? Oh, no, no. Since since COVID. Since yeah, COVID, because of yeah. COVID. Okay. Yeah, we were just locked down, you know, the whole thing, as you know. And, yeah. and so the Celebrity Edge is leaving out of Fort Lauderdale, I think. And we'll be on the first, uh, the first sailing of that, actually, which is kind of a big deal. So that's cool. That's cool, man. So when you're doing those, are you... Uh, you're, you get a stateroom and they kind of treat you good or do you get put down in the, uh, in the lower V in the engine room? We don't accept the engine room contracts <laughs> at, at all anymore. Thank God. But yeah. no, we have what's called, uh, we're called guest entertainers. So we are guests who get paid and do a, 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 a perform and we don't do any like drill stuff, anything like that. Um, we're just fully guests. And then we nice. go do a show and get paid quite well, actually. Um, and, and that's it. So it's, it's actually, yeah, it's pretty nice. It's pleasant. Yeah. yeah. You don't get woken up at 4 a.m. to go to a fire drill or boat drill or whatever. <laughs> you know, you know? Thank yeah. God. Yeah, you get best of both worlds in. That's awesome. Well, hey, for all of you out there listening, you know, make sure you check out Jason Bishop. It is an awesome show. And uh, remember, when it comes to crisis, if you're not a magician, keep it simple because crisis will complicate the rest. And until next time, we'll see you later. Can You Survive This Podcast is a production of Calvary Audio and iHeartMedia. Recorded live from a secure location here in Dallas, Texas. Produced by Brandon Morgan, Jeff Apple, and Clint Emerson. Executive produced by Keegan Rosenberger and Dana Brunetti. For Calvary Audio, I'm Clint Emerson. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live.